Thank you, Father, for this day. You are worthy of our praise. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for all things were created to give you pleasure. But your word says, Lord, without faith it is impossible to please God. And this morning, Lord, even as we meditate upon your word, let faith arise. For your word says, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. A faith that leads to obedience. Father, let it arise in our hearts. Spur us, Father, by the word, by the by your, by your word this morning. Anoint us afresh, O Lord, that we will be able to understand, O Lord, what you have to speak to our hearts this morning. Grant us ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord has to say in this last hour of time. To that end, I pray that you would bless and anoint the speaking and the hearing of this word. We thank you. We praise you for in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, we've been looking at, um, yesterday at least, the power of proclamation, praise and prayer. PPP. It is not public-private partnership. It is proclamation, praise and prayer. There is power in proclamation. Alright. If you can turn with me to Proverbs chapter 18. Verses 20 and 21, we'll look at it in three translations, if you will. It says, a man's stomach shall be satisfied from the fruit of his mouth. From the produce of his lips, he shall be filled. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who live it, those who love it, that is the power of the tongue, will eat its fruit. That is the reason why the first thing the Lord touches um, is the tongue of the disciples on the day of Pentecost. It's, it's, a, it's a symbol of the Holy Spirit taking control of your tongue. James will talk about it. The most difficult instrument, he says, or rather the word is, Greek is translated as weapon. Okay. Tongue is a weapon, weapon and it's a weapon that has to be tamed, that which has to be controlled. It says, a man's stomach shall be satisfied from the fruit of his mouth, from the produce of his lips he shall be filled. Death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it shall will eat its fruits and, and fruit. The next verse is very interesting. He who finds a wife <laughs> finds a good thing. I, I I don't know why the Holy Spirit has to put these three together and obtains favor from the Lord. Why? Or maybe a spouse who will ensure that you control your tongue. I'm not. I don't know. I'm just reading those three verses together. I'm, I find it very interesting that these three verses somehow appear together. I'm not reading too much into the text. If I say certain things, don't do it, run it, run with it as if it's doctrine. But for your consideration, food for thought. Anyway, so death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. If you turn to the NIV translation, it's very interesting. Um, 
A man's stomach, sh- from the fruit of his mouth, a man's stomach is filled. With the harvest of his lips, he is satisfied. Therefore, therefore, uh, your words produce a harvest. Therefore, words are what? Seed. Right? That is what they produce. They produce a harvest. So, the kind of words that you sow, according to its kind, it will produce a fruit. Right? Because that's the inexorable law of nature. Everything after its kind. It will suddenly not evolve into something new. Okay. The tongue has the power of life and death and those who love it will eat its fruit. MSG. The message translation by Eugene Peterson. Even more fantastic. Alright. Let's see. Words satisfy the mind as much as fruit does the stomach. Good talk is as gratifying as a good harvest. Remarkable, isn't it? Words kill, words give life. That's so precise, verse 21. Words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit you choose. That is Eugene Peterson's precision. He's like a, he's like a cutting edge, no? Knife. Words kill, words give life. They are either poison or fruit. You choose. You choose. And the words that Jesus spoke always were life. That is the reason why, that is the reason why Peter has to say, Lord, to whom shall we go? You and you alone have the words of life. Okay. So, there is a power in proclamation. We know these words very well. <coughs> so we have to ask a question do my words kill or do my words bring life is my words are my words poison or are they fruit what am i choosing even as i'm speaking because you can think a lot of things but what you what what you speak you can still control but once you speak it's it you can't take back it's it's own now Ow, I'm sorry. Okay, it's already sown. It's already gone out of your mouth. You can't do anything about it. Therefore, guard your lips. Guard your heart. For out of out of the abundance of your heart, the mouth speaks. So guard your heart with all diligence, says Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. For out of it are the <clears throat> issues of life. Okay, words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. Therefore, I give you what? uh, uh, I place before you life and death, blessing and curses. Choose life. Choose fruit and don't choose poison. Therefore, therefore we need to really guard our mouth. So 1019 of Proverbs, a few verses. 1019. It says, In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. But he who restrains his lips, lips are the doors, it's a door of your mouth. Okay, that is the reason why they say zip your lip. One of the things I ask my students in my class to do, my students in my school, I say zip your lips and lock it up and give me the key. And then figuratively I take the keys and I throw it outside. So that means uh, they are not going (laughs) to open their mouth as long as they are in my class. I guard what they say and what they not say. It's a good discipline to inculcate. He who restrains his lips. It's as if 
it's a horse. It's a stallion. <laughs> a stallion has to become a horse. It has to be, uh, what do you say, uh, tamed, if you will. Okay. Um, tw- 12, 13 of Proverbs. Another, another, another verse which I wanted to look at. <clears throat> okay. The wicked is ensnared by the transgression of his lips. Look at that. Uh, uh, um, uh, the Berean Study Bible. Okay, it's a very um, interesting Bible. We don't have to. It's, you don't, it's not there. Let's listen to me. How how it's how this particular verse is rendered in the Berean Study Bible. Okay, uh, I don't know why they call it as Berean Study Study Bible. Maybe they're taking a cue from Acts uh, eleven twenty-seven, if I'm right. Oh, seventeen twenty-seven, seventeen eleven. Okay, Acts seventeen eleven. Yeah, yeah. Which says, you know, those Jews in Berea were much more nobler than the Jews in Thessalonica. So this is the Berean study Bible. Look at what it says. An evil man is trapped by his rebellious speech. That's powerful. <clears throat> An evil man is trapped by his rebellious speech, but a righteous man escapes from trouble. That means he does not trap himself by rebellious speech. Okay. You speak like a rebel. That means in your, in your pride you speak and you're ensnared. Now you can't take back because you spoke it in your pride. Boy, it's very dangerous. Words spoken in anger and in pride. You're trapped by those words. The message translation, look at what it says. This particular verse in the message translation. It's very, <laughs> very powerful. Okay. The gossip of bad people gets them in trouble. <laughs> Eugene Peterson gets it straight, huh? Um, The conversation of good good people keeps them out of trouble. Okay. Understand these very important truths. Proclamation. We're talking about proclamation, right? 13.2, Proverbs. Maybe also 3. Let's see. 13.2 and 3. A man shall eat well. By the fruit of his mouth, but the soul of the unfaithful feeds on violence. He who guards his mouth preserves not others' life, his own life. But he who opens wide his lips shall have destruction. Can't get, I don't have to exposit this anymore. Can we put it in MSG please, message. And also the Amplified. The good acquire a taste for helpful conversation. I like that. Uh, The good acquire a taste for helpful conversation. Bullies push and shove their way through life. Careful words make for a careful life. Careless talk may ruin everything. Everything. Okay. Amplified. Put it in the amplified. Is it an amplified? Okay. A good man eats good from the fruit of his mouth, but the desire of the treacherous for violence, he who guards his mouth keeps his life, but he who opens wide his lips shall come to ruin. Okay, so guard our mouths. Okay. In order to guard our mouths and to guard our speech, or rather in order to change the way we speak, what we need is something. We need a heart which is new. Okay. And which which has the ability to speak um, uh, the words which God wants us to speak. If you can turn with me to James James chapter four verses 
18 to 21. 18 to 21. Okay. James chapter 4 verses 18 to 21. Sorry, <clears throat> chapter 1 verses 18. James chapter 1 verses 18 to 21. Why did I write 4 over here? Okay. Of his own will. Look at that. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. That means he gave us new birth by the word of truth. That we may be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Alright. So then, there's a connection obviously, right? Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. Because he brought us forth by the word of truth. So then, okay, because he brought us forth by the word of truth. Look at the logic. Bible has logic. So many states, especially the New Testament, the reason why they have written it in Greek is because Greek has got that grammar to convey precise logic. There are certain tenses which are not even possible in the English language. It's called an erotist, erotist sense. Tense, I, I, I forget the name, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, um, some of, some of the examples later on in another study maybe. Erotists or eroist, eroist tense, something like that. Okay, of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth. So then, verse 19, my beloved brothers, let every man be swift to hear, or rather quick to hear, slow to speak and slow to anger. Why? Because he brought us forth by the word of truth. The result should be what? You should be uh, slow to, uh, sorry, swift to hear or quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. Why? Because the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God, alright? Or the righteousness that God requires. Because you've been, you've been born again by the word of truth, be slow to speak, quick to hear, and slow to get angry, because the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God, and therefore, verse 24, again, therefore, again, you see the connection? Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. And TNT, whatever comes out of your mouth is the overflow. Out of the abundance of your mouth, a heart, your mouth speaks. Whatever is coming out of your mouth is the overflow, basically, of your heart. Like pastor gives that example, no? He takes that jug of water and he moves uh, here and he asks you to push him. And when he pushes you, uh, something comes out. And he says, why did it come out? Because it's there. Whatever is there comes out, simple. Okay. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word that is able to save your souls. You can look at the connections over here. Let us uh, read these three verses together. If you can put these three verses together here, at least on my screen, I'm sure. I'm not, I'm, I, don't, I know it's not possible um, on the other screen. But let me read this to you. So then, my beloved brothers, let yeah, so actually 18 to 21, right? 18 to 21. Yeah, you don't have to put four verses. Just put three, three, three together and so that we can see the, see the flow of thought here. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Alright, he brought us forth. So then, because he brought, you're born again by the word of truth. So then, my beloved brothers, what should you do? Okay, what? Well, be, uh, be swift to hear. That's what it says in First Peter chapter 2. He says, as newborn babes, okay, receive the pure milk of the word of God. How? So that you may grow up in your salvation if you have tasted that the Lord is good. But how do you receive the word of God or crave for the pure milk? By laying aside, First Peter chapter 2 verse 1, by laying aside all malice, all filthiness, etc., etc., all deceit. 
Okay. Same thing over here. Verse, verse uh, 21. Lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. So, receive the engrafted word or let me tell you something else. Receive with meekness the engrafted word. What is that word? It is the word which is proclaimed most, most of the times and also the word that you read. As, but you have to give careful attention more to the proclamate the, to the proclaimed word. Okay, here. Okay, I'll, in this context, I want us to concentrate on that. I'll tell you why. First, let us look at a few um, few results of receiving the word of God. There are several, but I just want to highlight a few th- few results. First, let us turn to first uh, first Corinthians chapter one verse twenty one. Okay, preaching of the word of God is also called proclamation. Okay, it's proclamation, right? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message proclaimed. Okay, that the word is preached, which which essentially means proclamation. Uh, who proclaims? The herald proclaims what the king has decided. Okay, he, that's what we call as good news. Gospel is good news. Okay, foolishness of the message proclaimed or preached to save those who believe. Now keep that in mind and now turn to 1 Corinthians chapter, so 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13. Look at what that says. Okay. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing because when you receive the word, what, 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 what word was that? The proclaimed word. Right? You, when you received the proclaimed word, you did not receive, you, because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it. You saw that? Aye or tashrif rakhiye ya virajman huye, hoye, hamare ghar mein. Be seated, O Lord. Okay, that's what, that's what you're doing. As if it's a person. And the word of God is a person, right? Okay. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing because when you received the word, which you have heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in those who believe. Effectively works means the word is energized. (laughs) Okay. What does it mean? So the word of God has got the energy to produce the life of Christ in you, if you believe. Energy. Okay. Another place. Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 29. 23-29. Is not my word like a fire? There's the Lord. And like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. So this is again, again the word of God. What are the results of this proclaimed word of God? Of course, he's talking about false prophets and the true prophets who proclaim the word of God. Alright. First, the word of God is like fire, meaning what? It burns which is evil or bad or sharp or of the flesh inside of you and purifies that which is good. Both, both things it does. It, it rids off all that is not of God and purifies that which is of God. Both it does. It says, right, uh, you remember the word which uh, um, uh, First Peter chapter 1 will say, your, the, test, the, the tested genuineness of your faith, 
which is more precious than gold, even though it is perishable, is tested by fire. That's exactly what the word of God does. It says in uh, in Psalm 105, don't have to turn there according to, uh, about Joseph. It says, he was laid in irons and the word of God, what? Tested him, purified him, purged him, cleansed him. That's a cleansing work of the word of God. It does it. If you submit to the word of God, it will cleanse, it will come and burn everything which is not of God if you allow it to work. That is the reason why Isaiah will say, who can dwell in the midst of everlasting burnings? That is that is the reason why the church has to be a place where the word of God should be preached with fire and unction and anointing so that it has its, it does its cleansing work in each one of our lives. Okay, so that if it is, if your life is tested by the fire of the word of God on that day, it will stand judgment. Because everything will be tested by fire. Okay, if it is built on wood, hay, or uh, wood, hay and stubble, or silver, gold and precious stones, that day will reveal it. With what material you bought, you, you built, built your house. And wood, hay and stubble is cheap, you know that, right? Wood, hay and stubble is so cheap. You may just go out to go there and get some wood, hay and stubble and you can build your house. cheap house. But gold, silver and precious stones, boy, it's expensive. You have to pay a price for that. So the word of God will start doing that. And then second it says the word of God is like a what? It's like a hammer. What does hammer do? It breaks the rock. It demolishes. It's a demolition man. I want to show you some verses uh, from Second um, uh, Corinthians chapter ten, uh, verses four and five in the NIV, please. Only in the NIV, four to six, four to six. All right, look at this. <laughs> Beautiful. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, okay, they have divine power to demolish <laughs> strongholds. We demolish arguments. We demolish every pretension which sets itself against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We demolish. So what does the word of God do? It comes and demolishes every argument. Okay, It demolishes strongholds that have been established. Strongholds means thought patterns which have been established, which are contrary to the word of God. Every pretension or every lie, it demolishes. It just comes through like a hammer if you allow it. Okay, To be under a hammer is not easy, of course. But let it come, Lord. So it has two effects. It cleanses and it demolishes. That is the reason why The children of Israel, when they went into the promised land, they were asked to demolish. Look at look at this. If you turn to Exodus chapter 23, verses 23 to 25. Look at what it says. For my angel will go before you and bring you into the land of the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hevites, and the Jebusites. Amorite means slanderous spirit. Hittite means fearful spirit. Perizzite means... Lazy spirit. Canaanite means merchandise spirit. Hevite means who was a Hevite? 
Shechem was a Hivite. What did he do to Dina? Okay, which the spirit which takes away your chastity. That is the Hivite spirit. And the Jebusite spirit, deception. The deceptive spirits. Okay. All these spirits have to be demolished. And then, was and, and I will cut them off. You shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do according to their works, but you shall utterly, the word is actually demolish them, and completely break down and demolish their sacred pillars. So shall, so you shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water, and I will take sickness away from your midst. In other words, you know what he says? Take the word of God and demolish every Jebusite spirit. If you go back to that place, it says, Amorite spirit, that slanderous spirit, destroy it. The Hittite, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. I told you, you know, what does it say? Who is the Hittite in the Bible? Whom we talk about? Uriah, the Hittite. What does Uriah mean? The Lord is my light. Yahweh is my light. That is the reason why Psalm 27 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I be afraid or fear? The Lord is the strength of my right hand. Whom shall I be afraid? You see? Alright? So demolish all these things. Now we, we studied that some time back. We don't have to turn there. So it demolishes. The word of God demolishes all these things in our lives. And then it cleanses like fire. Right? If you turn to Malachi chapter 3 and verses 2 to 3, look at what it says. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a what fire? Refiner's fire. And like a launderer's soap. I, I like why both these things are put together, refiner's fire and launderer's soap. See, soap is an alkali. Alkali, when you put it on your skin, what does it, what happens? Burns. Okay. Sodium hydroxide. Okay, that's what launderer soap does. Soap has got an alkaline nature. It burns away all the nonsense from your body. That's a, that's a, that's a, that's the essential idea over here. Refiner's fire and the launderer's soap. Okay. You give your uh, clothes to a dobi, either they get Clean or they get torn. <laughs> Launderer. I mean, you should see sometimes I, I gave my, one of my white shirts to our Venkatesh, okay? Because a lot of the collar accumulated a lot of uh, dark things. I said, Venkatesh, just get rid of it. He said, sir, okay, sir. And that he subjected that shirt to tremendous trauma. And after a while, the collar was torn. Either it will become white or it will tear. Okay, launderer's soap. And then what what does he do? He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the who? The sons of Levi. We are all sons of Levi in that sense, right? The priests. We are just not ordinary priests now. We are not Levitical priests. We are the priests of the order of who? Melchizedek. And purge them as gold and silver that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. Offering in what? In righteousness. Turn now to First Peter chapter 2, verse 3 onwards. 4 onwards actually, 4 onwards. 4 onwards, First Peter. Coming to him as a living stone, 
rejected indeed by men but chosen by God and precious, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up what? Spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ so that the Levites can offer a sacrifice to God in righteousness it says and that is the reason why he's cleansing us and therefore the word of God has got that cleansing effect so that whatever we offer to God will be acceptable to him you got that everybody another thing the word of God does this is uh, even more so few verses I'm looking at and And then we'll look at an example of the power of proclamation, how the word of God uh, has got the power to work in those who believe. Hebrews chapter 4 verses 11 to 13. 11 to 13. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest. Okay? Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall to the same example of disobedience. Now hold there. What is the same example of disobedience? The children of Israel. What is it written about the children of Israel in the same chapter? It says in chapter 4 verse 2. Look at what it says. For indeed the gospel was what? Means what? Proclaimed. The gospel was proclaimed to them as to us. But the word which was proclaimed, which they heard, did not profit them. Why? Because they were not united with the faith with with those who proclaimed it or with those who heard it. Not mixed with faith in those who heard it. So the word that was proclaimed did not profit them because they did not have faith. Alright? You understand? Therefore, now go back to verse 12 now. Verse 12. For the word of God. You see that? Now what is that? What is this word of God we are talking about, Baba? The word which is preached. The proclaimed word of God. Okay, not any word of God. The word which is proclaimed under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. The proclaimed word of God. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Or the word is, word of Christ meaning what? Meaning what? The word which has been anointed by God. And faith comes through that. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Okay. So the word of God is first of all is what living. Meaning it gives life. That's the reason why Jesus says my words are spirit and life. It produces life. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. We heard and we also know the very word of God has got the power to produce the life of Christ inside of us. You know why? Because we are born again. Right? Now, by and again, by the very, very word of God, and if you allow the word of God to grow, the same life of Christ will start to manifest in us. So the word of God is living. Second, it is powerful. The word is again, energy, energy, which energizes. It spurs you into action. Which word? The proclaimed word. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 verse 11 onwards in the, the NLT, please. We looked at it several times. One of my favorite verses. I take every opportunity to come to, come to this verse. Because I love it so much. <laughs> From 9 onwards, okay? Chapter 12, verse 9. Oh, did I say 9, verse 11? Oh yeah, sorry. Look at this man, Dr. Luke. Too much. Kya baat hai? Thank you, Dr. Luke. Because the teacher was wise. Let me tell you something. Luke was one guy who stayed with Paul Till the end, you know that? And he chronicled the life of Paul. 
If it were not for Luke, we would not have so much of the details about the life of Apostle Paul. That's what he says. Only Luke is left with me. Everybody has deserted. That guy Luke, he didn't preach even one sermon, it seems. He didn't perform one miracle. But he pro- he documented all the all the chronicles of the Apostle Paul. Remarkable, I'm telling you, honestly. Okay, so don't take doctors for granted. Okay. <laughs> Twelve nine. Because the teacher was wise, he taught the people everything he knew. He collected proverbs and classified them. Look at that. Indeed, the teacher taught the plain truth. He did so in an interesting way. A wise teacher, a wise teacher's what words spur students to action. I like that. They spur students to action. I love that. You see, that's what has to happen. The moment I finish the class, the guys have to go to the lab and get it done, man. Spur, are you, when, when am I going to the, when am I going to go to the lab? That's how they should be. There should be a cliffhanger. I want to test this out. It'll, I want to test the word, the, the words that my professor taught me. The words. I, I, that's what I did with my logic, digital logic course, no? I should teach the whole thing. I should give them examples. Ex- experiment is done. I'd ex- uh, explain the, even the experiment in the class and they're rearing to go to the lab. That should, that should what, that's what should happen to, to us also under the proclamation of the word of God. And we, when we receive the word of God by faith, it is living and it is powerful. It's that the other word is active. In other words, it makes you to get into action. Spurs you into action. Let's do this man. Okay. A wise teacher's words spur students to action and emphasize on important truths. The collected sayings of the wise are like the guidance from a shepherd. Wow. Okay. This is something which you have to think about. So what is the word of, what is the proclamation of the word of God do? First of all, it produces life inside of you. And that life is just not passive. It's active life. It's not dormant. It, it, it compels you. It spurs you into action. I think, uh, I don't know if you know Pastor Sridhar, no? Sometime back. He gave a very interesting example as to what the righteousness of God does. I mean, I just, I was listening to him, no? Sometime back. He gives us, he says, you know, uh, righteous, God credits righteousness into your account. Okay. It's like, uh, it's like, you know, putting a billion dollars into your account. Okay. Just imagine a billion dollars into your account. Now think about it. If I put billion dollars into Sam's account, Will his life not change? At least, according to me, what will happen is this. You should see the equipment that will happen here. Am I right, Sam? (laughs) The equipment will change. The best. The high-end camera. Pastor, what is this, Pastor? Everything will change. You know why? Something has been credited into your account and your life will change. And the righteousness of Jesus has been credited into your account. Your life will change. It will spur you into action. You cannot remain the same. Okay. It spurs students to action and he emphasizes on important truths. Okay. So then, therefore, it gives you life. It produ- it makes you active. Third. And what does what, what the word of God still do? Go back to uh, 4.12 of uh, Hebrews. 
It, it says it's sharper than a two-edged sword. It's sharper and it's it's sharper and it's piercing. That means it cuts. <laughs> Understand what? What does it convey? It convicts. What does it convict? Soul, spirit. What is of the soul? What is of the spirit? If any, if he who loses his life will save it. He who saves his life will lose it. He who loses his, he who saves his life will lose it. He who loses his life for my sake will save it. You know what the word for life is? Excuse me? Soul, exactly. He who loses his soul for my sake will find it. But he who finds his soul will lose it. In other words, soul or spirit. What is soul? My life or God's life? My understanding or God's understanding? Soul is still of man. What is of me and what is not of me? What is of God? Soul and the spirit. Joints and marrow. Joints and marrow. That's interesting, isn't it? 3.8 Proverbs. In KJV. Okay, actually 7 and 8. Okay, 7 and 8. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. KJV. Sorry. Yeah. It will be health to your navel and marrow to your bones. Okay. Joints means bones, basically. Two joints, right? Bones ke andar kya Marrow hona chahiye. What does marrow signify? Life. Right? It produces blood. So what does uh, God take as equal to a value of what bones? Dry bones. Ka matlab kya Usme pura marrow nikal gaya. All marrow is gone. Powder, powder hai abhi. Hone wala hai, almost. And what does God do? He speaks, proclaims life into those bones which have gone dry. And then discerns thoughts and intentions. That's the proclamation of God's word. Right? Why do people get offended most of the times for the proclamation of God's word? They don't get offended so much when they read the word of God. <laughs> as much as they get offended under the proclamation of the word of God. <laughs> See, here in this context, we are talking about the proclamation. The word that the gospel was preached to them, it says, right, in Hebrews chapter 4, the gospel that was proclaimed to them did not profit them because it did not mix it with faith. Why? Because the proclaimed word has got all these things, all these qualities. It is quick. It's 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 live. It's it, it is it's active. It's sharper. It convicts. It cuts. That's exactly what happened when Stephen spoke. They were cut to their heart. When Jesus said, "He who has no, he who is without sin, cast the first stone," they were cut to their heart. When Peter spoke, they were cut to their heart. It cuts. It pierces, and shows what is of the soul and what is of the spirit. It shows that your joints are absolutely only joints. There's no life inside those bones. There's no marrow. It goes so deep, penetrates proclamation of God's word. That is the reason why it says, 
did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by what? Or by hearing which comes from faith. You see. You see the spirit. The proclamation of God's word is so important. Why? Because it pleased God through the foolishness of the proclaimed message to save those who believe. That is the reason why proclamation is so powerful. The proclamation is becoming such an important aspect, especially in our church, and we are proclaiming more and more. We haven't, uh, we have not reduced the number of services, isn't it? Of course, we have reduced it to one, but the proclamation is still as intense as it was when we were preaching twice a day, if not more intense. Maybe it is more, actually. I don't know. And therefore it says, and there is no creature which is hidden from the sight. All things are naked and open to those to him which we have to, to whom we have to give, must, must give an account. You understand that? So this is exactly what the power of proclamation, the proclamation of the word of God achieves all these things that we have enumerated. Therefore, let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 21. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 21. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the proclaimed message to save those who believe. Okay? So let us look at an example. What it achieves. The preaching, the proclamation. It's precisely these words. Let's turn to Jonah. <laughs> Chapter 3. Completely, okay? You just stick to Jonah chapter 3. And see the power of the proclaimed message. Under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, under the commission of God. And who has to proclaim this message? Jonah. Tim Keller calls him the prodigal prophet. <laughs> okay, prodigal son I can understand. If the prophets also have become prodigals, it's a dangerous thing. <laughs> Okay, Baba, you don't take uh, Jonah lightly, okay? Jonah, the son of Amitai. If you just turn to Jonah chapter 3, chapter 1, verse 1. Look at what it says. Now, this word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amitai. You want to see Jonah, the son of, the son of Amitai, when he appears for the first time in the Bible? 1425, 2 Kings. 2 Kings 1425, look at what it says. He restored, this is Jeroboam, okay? The Jeroboam 2. He restored the territory of Israel from the entrance of Hamah to the Sea of Arabah according to the word of the Lord of God of Israel which he had spoken through the servant, through his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath Hefer. This is the prophet. And he knows by the anointing. That means he speaks, things happen. He does. He can speak to his own people. Because he loves his people. Let's go to Jonah chapter 1. Before we go to Jonah chapter 3, uh, let's read Jonah chapter 1 verse 1 and 2. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come to me. I know Jonah already knows. He's got a gift of prophecy. He speaks, things happen. Wicked king Jeroboam, 
Okay, let's go there. Now go to Second Kings chapter 14. Let's read that thing in the whole context. Let me tell you the exact verses, okay? Uh, for you to understand the... Go uh, to Second Kings chapter 14 verses 23 onwards. 23 to 25, you'll understand. Why this is important. In the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, the king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, became king in Samaria and reigned for how many years? 41 years. And look at verse 24. And he did what? Evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made, who had made Israel to sin. However, this evil fellow, in verse 25, will obey the words of the prophet. So the prophet knows his gift. He restored the territory. Even this evil fellow. He restored the territory of Israel from the entrance of Hamath. How? According to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he had spoken through his servant, Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, who was from Gath Hefer. So this guy knows his gift. Jonah knows his gift. Okay. So, and he hates Nineveh, Assyria, which is going to one day conquer Israel. You are asking me to go and proclaim to them. I think it was Hamlet, right? The key, he wants his uh, uh, father's murderer to die and go to hell. Was it Hamlet? I think so. I don't know. Maybe I'm not chicks. I've seen movies, but I've ruined, have not read so much. So the, uh, the 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 works of Shakespeare. I like Julius Caesar. Those and that entire discourse of. Uh, Julius Caesar. Not because I love Shakespeare, because I like Marlon Brando. You should see his monologue, okay? On Julius Caesar. It's powerful. The two people whom I know very well, one is uh, Charleston Heston. You know who that Charleston Heston is, right? Ben-Hur, Moses, and Julius Caesar. All three, okay? Not Julius Caesar actually. What's his name? Mark Anthony. Okay. He's Mark Anthony also in Julius Caesar. You should see his discourse. You compare Marlon Brando and, uh, and, uh, Charleston Heston. You know who comes on top? Marlon Brando, of course. That's the reason why he got Oscar Baba. Did you see Charleston Heston getting the Oscar? No. Okay. <laughs> just, just joking. That was only, uh, that is was free and but don't go and uh, go to youtube you can go go to youtube maybe yeah see that, see that part only that part i love that part okay the way he does that entire monologue i liked it so much i watched it so many times sometimes i get tempted to say it but i'll not okay so he he has the power to proclaim and he knows it so he says he hates nineveh he hates nineveh so let us go now. What happens to this prodigal prophet once he comes back? Jonah chapter 3, verses uh, 1 onwards. Let's read it all in KJV, okay? All in KJV. All in KJV. The entire chapter. And let's see what the proclaimed word does. So, Jonah chapter 3. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time saying, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and what? Preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. I like that. <laughs> this is beautiful, right? Verses. Look at verse 2. Arise, go unto Nineveh. This is the second time, of course, after he deals with his disobedience. Arise, go unto Nineveh, and preach unto it the preaching. Verse 2. Preach unto it the preaching 
that I bid thee. Meaning what? Proclaim. Proclaim the word of God. So verse 3 now. He learns his lesson. So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh. According to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days journey. The word three days keeps coming, right? Again, so Nineveh, he went through the length and breadth of Nineveh. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey. And he cried and said, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. What is his message? Who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Full stop. He didn't say produce works meet for repentance. He didn't say that because he didn't want them to repent. <laughs> Isn't it interesting? 40 days you are gone. But look at the power of the proclaimed word, what it produces. Look at what it says in the next verse. So the people of Nineveh believed. You see that? It pleased God to the, through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. The word of God has got power to work in those who believe. Interesting. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. <clears throat> to the least of them, yeah, greatest of them unto the least of them, for the word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, he laid his robe from his from, from him, and covered him with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Okay, let us look at what it says. What is and what did the king of Nineveh do under the proclamation of God's word? He believed it. The moment you believe it, the word of God is living and it is what? Active. It energizes you. It spurs you into action, right? What is the first action that he does? He, first thing, he arises from his throne. You know what? I wrote it. I wrote this. Suddenly, the king of Nineveh has realized that there is a higher throne. That he is only second in command. He only has delegated authority. He met the ultimate authority, the authority of God. Remember, when uh, Joshua is standing at Jericho, he sees a man which is with his drawn sword, and he says, are you for us? Are, are, you, are you for our enemies? He says, for neither. As a commander of the Lord's, Lord's armies have come, take off. That means you realize that you are not first in command, Joshua. I am first in command. You are only what? Second in command. You only have delegated authority. I was reading this book by Watchman. He called uh, Spiritual Authority. You know what he says? Repentance, genu genuine repentance starts when you have met the ultimate authority of God. And God has dethroned you from your throne. The proclamation of the word of God does that. It dethrones you. It dethrones you. Who is in the throne of throne of your heart? Is God in the throne of your heart? Or you are in the throne of your heart? Or devil, in other words. If you are there, that, that means devil is there. You are. So you know what he does? He first era or arose from his throne. He said, you know what, Lord, this throne, this throne is not mine. I realize that I am not king. You are king. Romans chapter 13. Let's read from verses 1 to 3. Put it in KJV, no problem, okay? 
let us be consistent here. Let every soul be subject unto higher powers. Actually, KJV will use, in NKJV will use the word higher authorities or governing authorities. Maybe you should put that word in, in, in NKJV only. Every soul be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God and the authority that authorities that exist are a Appointed by God. So what does the king of Nineveh have? He has only delegated authority. He is only second in command. He realizes. He empties his throne. He says, Lord, hmm, this is not my throne. When genuine repentance happens, this is what I wrote. When genuine repentance happens under the proclamation of the word of God, we also empty our thrones and we say, Lord, you are sovereign. I am not. You are in control. I am not. You are my head. I am not. Who is occupying the throne of your life? Have I humbled myself? And have I emptied the throne of my life? And have I given it to the Lord of my life? Do we say, Lord, you take the rightful position. You become the Lord of my life. First thing. First thing. You know what you do? You empty your throne. That's exactly what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. Look at his confession. When you go to heaven, expect to see him. Expect. One gentle guy who got saved, for sure he's there in heaven. Solomon may not be there. Babylon's Nebuchadnezzar may be there. That's the irony. Anyway, look at what he says in Daniel chapter 4, verse 34 onwards. And at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, at the end of what time, Baba? How many times is that time? Seven times, thank you. <laughs> seven times, seven times ka matlab kya hai? Seven times means complete humbling. Is this not Babylon, which I build for the glory of my majesty, finished. That's exactly what he told, Elisha told who? Naman, go to Jordan, dip yourself, how many times? Seven times. At the end of time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes to heaven and my understanding returned to me and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him for he lives forever for his dominion is an everlasting dominion. Even though people come and say, oh king, live forever. Raja, Amar Rahe. I know that only lying to me. They are flattering me. I will not be Amar. Only one, there is only one man who is Amar. There is only one God. That's exactly what, how uh, Jesus introduces himself to John. He says, I am the first and the last. I was alive. I am, I was dead and now I am alive and I am living forevermore. He is at the throne of heaven. That's, that's what I, that's what it says. He made Jesus and he and he seated him at the right hand of the Father far above all principality and power so that in the ages to come. He is above everyone. Okay, I like that song, no? What is that song? Kings and princes may wear a crown, but you reign. <laughs> you reign. You are sovereign. That's exactly what the king of Nineveh, the Assyrian king, Acknowledges. You know what he says? He empties his throne. First he says, Lord, this is not mine. This is yours. 
You see, we have not genuinely repented, my dear brothers. We are only fooling ourselves. We are only fooling ourselves if we have not emptied the throne which belongs to God in our lives. We are only fooling ourselves. If you are still in control, you are not the Lord of your life. You have still not repented. You are still, 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 there is still a long way to go for you. And God has to bring you to that point. Emptying yourself. Isn't it interesting? It says, Jesus emptied himself. But we find it so difficult to empty ourselves. He says, he emptied himself. He made himself of what? Of no reputation. And we have a reputation. Remarkable. And look at what, what, what Nebuchadnezzar says. He says, and my understanding returned to me and I blessed the Most High. Who is the Most High? Not me. He. The Most High God. El Elyon. That's what the Most High God. The priest of the Most High God. Who is the priest of the Most High God? Melchizedek was the priest of the Most High God. El Elyon. That's, what, that's exactly how Jesus introduces himself to Abraham after he fights those five kings and he says, El Elyon has given you victory. The Most High God has given you victory. Abraham. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever for his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom is from generation to generation. And then look at what he says. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as what is your reputation? You PhD from Harvard with your double doctorate and another doctorate in medicine also and you circled around the earth and you realize one something. You know what he realized that guy? This guy who was in the International Space Station with a double doctorate, okay? Double doctorate, he was not satisfied with a double PhD. He also did MD in medicine. It's like this, no? I do engineering, I get PhD in let's say aerospace engineering, and I also look at Dr. Luke and say, you know what, I also want to do medicine. Goes to medical college, gets a degree also in medicine. That was David Saint-Jacques, the guy who went to the International Space Station. You know what, he's, what he says? When he looks at the earth, he looks at it and he says, my God, my God. I mean, he didn't say my God. <laughs> he looked at it and he said, in my spare time on the International Space Station, all I wanted to do was look at the earth and I looked at this blue blob of life in the midst of absolute death. How is it suspended like that? It's a miracle. You see, all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. You are nothing. You are nothing. We are nothing. We have to come to that realization. You are nothing. You are nothing. You know, we, ha- we are actually nothing, but we boast as if we are so much, you know. And today the gospel that has been preached is, oh, you are something. You are the princess and princess in the sight of God. Proclaim prosperity. What a tremendous false gospel, which which kind of pampers your ego instead of breaking it, demolishing it. The proclamation of the word of God should do this. It has to crush everything which exalts itself against the knowledge of God in our lives. That's the, that's the reason why it says, is, my, is, not my word of, is not my word like a what? Like a hammer. What should it do? It has to demolish and bring us to the realization that we are what? Nothing. He does according to his will 
in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. There, on, on earth, as it is in heaven, he does it. His will is happening. No one can restrain his hand or say, what have you done? No one can do it. And next, verse 30. At the same time, my reason returned to me. You see that? You become reasonable. It's like, you know, that guy, the guy in Gadarenes, right? After he was, he was delivered from the demon possession, it says, he was sitting at the feet of Jesus in his right mind, meaning his reason returned to him. That's exactly what happened to Nebuchadnezzar also. For the glory of my kingdom, my honor, my splendor returned to me. My counselor and nobles restored me. I was restored. My kingdom and excellent majesty was added to me. And then this is what he says. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol the king and honor the king of heaven. He is the authority. He is the authority. He is. I am not. He is the authority. All of all, all, no, sorry, the honor and honor the king of heaven, all of whose works are truth and his ways are justice, and those who walk in pride, he is able to put down, and he did it to me. You know what does what does what does the king of Nineveh, king of Nineveh do? He empties his throne under the proclamation of the word of God. We also realize one thing: we are nothing, and we empty the throne that we are occupying, because God is not going to share His glory with a graven image. With another idol. Second. He put away his robe. Go back to uh, Nineveh. Sorry, Nineveh name. Kya bolta usko? Yeah, Nineveh, of course. We'll get transported in time to Nineveh, okay? Think about it, no? This was written some, some 2,500 years back. And it's still relevant to us, no? It's as if it's happened yesterday. Hmm? Then, verse 5, verse 5, verse 5. Uh, sorry, did I say verse five? Uh, verse six, verse six. Yeah. Then the word of the Lord. Uh, the, then the word came to the king. The word came to the king, and he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe. I like that. First of all, he emptied his throne. Second, what did he do? He lay aside his robe. What is that robe, Baba? You know what he's saying? All this robe is just a lie. It's a pretense. You know what my reality is? Sackcloth and ashes. You know, somebody said something very interesting. What is confession? If we confess our sins, huh? he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and the blood of Jesus will cleanse us from all unrighteousness, right? What is genuine confession? I think it was John Piper or Sundar Krishnan. I think it's Sundar Krishnan, one of them. Okay. You know what he says? Confession or genuine confession is when your opinion about yourself matches God's opinion about you. What did I say? When your opinion about yourself matches God's opinion about you. Okay. HR question kya Tell me about yourself. I did this, I did that, I did this. When I was a kid, I was interested in engineering, Lego, no, Lego kits. I did all kinds of things. This is what I was. In the presence of God, all this is just a pretense. It's a lie. Emperor clothes nahi hai. <laughs> he's naked. <laughs> you know what he's saying? Lord, this is my reality. What has, what have I been, have I been doing? I have been clothing and I have been putting on a pretense when in reality, this is what I am. 
This is my reality. So when he's putting away his robe, you know what he's saying? Lord, this is what I am. Everything is naked before his eyes. That's what he says, right? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13 says, everything is naked before him to whom we have must give an account. And he says, this is my reality, God. This is my reality. This is what I am. This is what I am. All this is a pretense. You know, recently I've been interested in David Wood's uh, talks, you know. David Woods, they have, they're coming after him actually. YouTube is coming after him because uh, they want to ban his website, his channel. Because it's, it's, it's leftist agenda. Okay. Recently, he, uh, he posted a video on uh, Christian persecution around the world. And YouTube targeted it as a hate speech video. And it had nothing to do with hatred. He was just pointing out how Christians around the world are getting persecuted. And YouTube targeted his video for hate speech and they banned him from posting any video for seven days. For seven days he was not posting any videos because that's my entertainment channel, literally, you know. And I was like wondering, what happened to this guy? And after seven days he comes out and he says, he shows YouTube's policies. They are coming after us and they are calling it hate speech. Because you should see the kind of things he has done to Islam. He has exposed Islam left, right and center and people are running for cover. And recently I was uh, listening to a conversation between Dr. Yasser, who is a PhD in Islamic studies from Yale. And there is another fraud of a debater called Mohammad Hijab from uh, UK. They were having a conversation. You know what this guy is saying? After, this is Yasser, okay, he's a, he's a scholar in Islamic studies. This is what he has to say. I think we as Muslims, it's high time for us to deal with issues which are actually troublesome in our own books. But we should not do it publicly. We should do it privately. He's having conversation with these two guys. Think about it. Think about the lies that they have to tell themselves to accept this prophet. Think about it. A 50-year-old man gets married to a 6-year-old girl. And he consummates the marriage when she is 9 years, and she has not even reached puberty. Pre-pubescent girl. And the entire western world is asking this question, is this your prophet? And you should go to the lengths, you know what one of the Islamic apologists says, he says, if my daughter is 9 years old, and and uh, if the prophet marries her, wants to marry her, I will give her in marriage. That is how much they have to lie. You know what? God is literally breaking all those strongholds. You should see the kind of research that is happening in the Islamic uh, apologist domain. You should see the way they are tearing up their own texts and showing them from their own texts that their prophet is a fraud. 
And they have to come to terms with it now. And you should see the Muslims who are coming out in numbers because of this truth, which has been, which has been covered in a barrage of lies. It's a pretense, my dear brothers. It's a pretense. A prophet who marries a prepubescent girl and who consummates her? Is this your prophet? And the lengths that you have to go to justify him. You know, some one man, one man who was, who does uh, uh, apologies, apologetics with Muslims, you know what he says? Many Muslims are better than his prophet. They're actually more holier and righteous than their own prophet. It's a true. It's a fact. It's dangerous things happening. I mean, that is how they, they, they just literally cover themselves in a barrage of lies. You know what, you know what, you know what, uh, the king of Nineveh is doing? He's taking off his robe and he's saying, Lord, this is what I am. This is what I truly am. What I truly am. I remember Nabil Quraish's testimony, you know, the way he got converted. Just before his conversion, no, almost, he's like, he has explored Islam, he has explored Christianity, and he has compared one with the other. And he's looked at all the evidence. And now he has to really come to terms with the truth. And you should see the kind of battle that is going on inside his heart. And then he's weeping. So he has two books. Quran and Bible. And he's weeping and weeping and crying. And he opens the Quran. He looks for the looks for words of comfort from the Quran. And he reads through several pages. If you read Quran, by the time you come to page number 10, you'll go mad. It's so incoherent. It's a fact. He put it, puts it down and he's mourning and he's looking for comfort and he can't see any words of comfort. And he opens up the new covenant which his friend has given him. And his eyes fall in Matthew chapter 5. It says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And the word hits him like one shot in his kishkas. And he says, After that, I didn't stop reading. I went on and on and on and on and on and knew that I was born again. You have to come to terms with truths, my dear brothers. You know what he does? He empties his throne. He takes over, takes away his robe and he puts on sackcloth and ashes. And in a way he sits, he sits in ashes. From the throne to the ashes. That is what we call as humbling. That is my reality. Only then God will give you what for ashes? Beauty for ashes. An oil of gladness for mourning. A garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness. Oil of gladness for mourning and a garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness. This is all a pretense. That is what we have to come to terms with. And the proclamation of the word of God exposes all our pretenses. That's what it says, right? The word of God has got the power to demolish strongholds, demolish arguments and demolish what? Every pretense. Revelation chapter 3 verse 14 onwards. How he introduces himself to the church of the Laodiceans. It says, and the angel of the church of the, and to the angel of the church of Laodiceans write, these things says the Amen, the faithful and the true witness. You know what he's saying? I see you the way you are. 
I am the faithful witness. I am a true witness. I am the Amen. In other words, whatever comes out of my mouth is not yes and yes. And no, it is Amen. Because I see you the way you are. And who is this? The word of God. This is Jesus, of course. The faithful and the true witness. The beginning of the creation of God. And the next, next verse. I know your works, that you are neither called nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. And then look at this. This is next verse. Verse 16. Uh, sorry, verse 17. Verse 17 and 18. Verse 17 and 18. Because you say I am rich, you have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And you do not know what is your true condition. You are wretched. You are miserable. You are poor. You are blind. You are naked. These five realizations have to happen in our lives. What are we first? We are wretched. You know who is that guy who com- confesses that he is wretched? In the Bible, if you turn through the entire Old, old uh, New Testament, who is that one guy who says he is wretched? Paul 7, Romans 18 and 24. Romans chapter 7 verses 18 and 24. For I know that in me, where that is in my flesh, there is what? Nothing that is good. Nothing. And then, verse 24. Oh, wretched man. You should look at the entire new covenant. You know who is the only guy who confesses that he is actually wretched? Not even one of the apostles. Except Paul. This particular word wretched appears two times in the entire New Testament. The Greek New Testament. One by Apostle Paul and and then the other one in Revelation chapter 3 where Jesus is speaking to the church church of the of the Laudations. Oh, wretched man. Lord, I'm wretched. Nothing good in the name. That is what accepting the way you are. That's truth. Second, it says that you're wretched. Second, you're miserable. <laughs> miserable ka matlab jante ho na? You know what miserable means? I noted it down. The meaning of miserable means you have to realize that you're under the wrath of God and you need what? What do you need? If Mercy, exactly. You are miserable means you are in need of mercy and you don't even know it. Jonah 2.8 You know it very well. For those people who don't, don't know it. Those who regard or run after worthless idols forsake their own mercy. You know what? Jonah has to come to this point in his own life that he is a miserable guy and he needs mercy. Only then he is able to go and speak to those people under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, the proclamation of God's word, which will bring to realization that other people are also what? Miserable. That we need mercy. That is exactly the reason why Psalm 51, how does it start? Have mercy upon me, O God. According to your loving kindness and according to your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions, he says. Why? Why do I need mercy? I came to the realization that I am under the wrath of God. Forty days and Nineveh is no more. Who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Romans chapter 1 verse 18. 118 Romans. For the wrath of God 
is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. What do they do? They suppress the truth in their pretense, in their lies, in their unrighteousness. They suppress the truth. Or they, they hold to the truth in their unrighteousness. They cover the truth. Because it's traumatic, right? To access the truth about yourself. Two, Romans. Four, two, four and five. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you, repe- leads you to repentance, but according to your hard and impenitent, but in accordance to your hardness and impenitent heart, you're treasuring up for yourselves what? Wrath and, and the day of wrath and, and the revelation of the righteous judgment of God. There's wrath of God which has come. And therefore, 336, John. What does it say? He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. What did they ask him? What works must we do to do the works of God? This is the work of God that you should do. That you should believe in me. Of, I will, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, why? Because they did not believe in me. They did not believe in me. Just believe. Look unto him. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life. But what abides upon him? The wrath of God abides upon him. And they don't, don't, they don't realize, like, uh, like Jonathan Edwards says, that they are on what slopes? Slippery slopes. You upset them on slippery paths. They can go to heaven. I'm sorry, not heaven. To hell. Just like that. Just like that. So what, what, what you have to realize? That you are first what? Wretched. Then second not, you, you have to realize that you are a miserable guy. You are a miserable guy in need of mercy. You need mercy. You know, how do you know that you are a guy who, who has realized this when you begin to extend mercy to others? You know, God will bring people, in, people into your lives. Slowly to expose the hardness of your own heart. That you don't realize that you are a miserable fellow. Second. Third. That you are not just what? Uh, 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 wretched. That not miserable. Third. That you are poor. Poor meaning all the riches that you have will not be able to save you. All the riches that you obtain, whatever those riches are, degrees, money, prestige, whatever it is that you have obtained in this world, will not be able to save you. In other words, all the riches that you have obtained will just burn under the wrath of God. What does it profit, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? Meaning, you can gain the whole world but you will still not be able to, under that weight of gaining the whole world, gain your own soul. It's not going to buy you salvation. No good works. Eleven four Proverbs. Why? Riches do not profit in the day of wrath. <laughs> Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. That is the reason why I like the Psalms of Korah. 
would to God we wrote those Psalms. Psalm 49. Once again. Verses 1 to 9. We'll read it easily. This is the Psalms of the sons of Korah. Hear this all peoples. Give your all inhabitants of the world. Both low and high. Rich and poor. All together. Please. Everybody. That's what yesterday pastor was saying, right? Those, God has chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith. And those people who are rich, you know what they should do? They should understand the fact that they are recipients of God's mercy. Because it is, it is so difficult for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And if you are entering into the kingdom of heaven, notwithstanding the fact that you are rich, that means God has really, really opened your eyes. You should humble yourself. That is the reason why he says in First Corinthians chapter 3, he says, if any man thinks that he is wise in this world, what should he become first? He should become a fool first so that he will be made wise. Here all peoples give here all inhabitants of the world. All peoples are not Jewish people only. All peoples, all the inhabitants of this world, both low and high, rich and poor, listen to the Psalms of Korah. Oh, my dear brothers and sisters, would to God we have worship leaders who can, who can uh, put, put to music meditations like this. Peter, you have an obligation. You have an obligation. I'm telling you honestly, I believe with my, all my heart that you should write something from the depths of your own heart. Something like this. My mouth shall speak wisdom. And the meditation of my heart shall give understanding. I will incline my ear to a proverb. I will disclose my saying on a harp. Can you disclose sayings on a harp? Can we disclose sayings on a harp? On stringed instruments? Would to God we have sons of Korah. I think there's a team, there's a worship team which calls itself the sons of Korah. Go on. Why should I fear in the days of evil when the iniquity of, at my heels surrounds me? Those who, look at this, verse 6 onwards. Those who trust in their wealth and boast in the multitude of, of, of their riches. Why? Riches do not profit in the day of what? Wrath. What, what saves you from death? Righteousness. It says, what? Verse 6. Verse, verse 6. It says, those who trust in their wealth and boast in the multitude of their riches. None of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him. None of them! With all their riches. First of all, not for their brother, for their own souls, they can't. Next verse. For the redemption of their souls is costly, and it shall cease forever that he should, that he should continue to live eternally and not see the pit. You understand that? Both rich and poor, Old and young, everybody listen to this. High and low. Everybody. Everybody. What should we realize? We are what? Poor. Absolutely poor. What can you give to God, Baba? Think about it. What can you give to God so that you can earn His favor? What can you give to God? A holy God, you you stand in His side, you'll go... (laughs) You'll be disintegrated only. You know one guy who became poor? Look at what he says, this man. Philippians chapter 3, verse 4. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count 
all things lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and I count them as what? You know the word actually is dung. You know what dung means? Something which the body has rejected. Remember that uh, story of uh, the dove droppings? During the time of Elisha? What the Holy Spirit rejected their buying? What God has rejected? What? All your earthly credentials and your worldly credentials, God has rejected. It is like what? Fill the racks before me. That is the reason why it's easier for the tax collectors and the prostitutes to enter into the kingdom of God than for these people, the righteous people. For them to repent, it takes a lot. God has to crush them. That I may gain Christ, and verse 9, not having, it says, verse 9, not having, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith, Jesus Christ, the righteousness which is from God, by faith. So the proclamation of the word of God reveals what? Your poverty. That is the reason why blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. Realize that? So first you are wretched. (laughs) Then you are miserable. Then you are poor. Fourth you are blind. (laughs) That's interesting, isn't it? (laughs) <laughs> That's what the Pharisees say. Go to John's Gospel, chapter 9. I forgot to put this. John's Gospel, chapter 9. And verse... Verse 42, 41. 42, 41, yeah. And, yeah, verse 39 onwards. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be made... Blind. And next verse 14. And then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? Jesus said to them, If you are blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, We see, therefore, your sin remains. That is the reason why under the proclamation of the word of God, in the first thing you know what happens? First thing you know what happens? Acts 26, 18. Acts 26, 18. Actually, yeah. To open their eyes and see what they truly are. In order to turn them from darkness to light. If you are blind, how does it matter if you are in darkness or in light? You don't even realize that you are in darkness. If the light, it says that eye is the lamp of the body. Okay, or the light of the body. If the light in you is darkness, how great is your darkness? The God of this world has blinded. My dear brothers and sisters, you know something? You should see some of the debates that I see when when the gospel is proclaimed to the to the other Abrahamic brothers. Okay. You should see the blindness in their heart. The blindness. You should see how blinded they are. You should, you can show arguments from their own scriptures, but they just simply ignore them. Ignore it completely. 
you should see the strongholds that have been established in their minds. The God of this world has blinded. My goodness, I'm telling you, I, 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 I've seen, I, I'm like, I'm looking at them, no? If I, I was, I was thinking, Lord, maybe I'm a, I'm a believer, so I'm able to see. But if another guy from another faith is objectively able to see it, and say, guys, do you see what is going on over here? Do you see your own scriptures? Do you see the fallacy in your own scriptures? Do you see us? We are true, you are lie. They think rhetoric is winning the argument. If you can lie fantastically, that means you have won the argument. You see, it's amazing how the Muslim mind, mind works sometimes. If you, look, if you look at these arguments, okay, there's a debate between going on between David Wood and Muhammad Ijab. David Wood is bringing argument after argument and after argument and after argument. Now somebody, after the de- debate is over, is discussing the debate. Oh, Muhammad Hijab won the argument. I said, how he won the debate? Look at the way he had an answer to every one of David's objections and they're all lies. Where? Where is the argument? Rhetoric. Camouflages their lies. I'm just giving you an example. So many times that, that's what happens to us also. Rhetoric. Just because you're able to speak with confidence. <laughs> that's the reason why we call that fellow what? Vain confidence. By Path Meadow. This also leads to celestial city. He doesn't know there's a ditch there and he's going to crack his skull very soon. Because the darkness is going to engulf him. My dear brothers, blind, Job 42, we know this very well, no? Verse 5 and 6. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes sees you. Kya baat? <laughs> it's after the hearing, you know what happens? When the hearing comes, eyes open. Love that. The Spirit of the Lord has appointed me to First what? Give hearing to the deaf and opening of the blind eyes. Therefore, what do I do? I abhor myself and I repent in dust and ashes. You know what I'm doing? I'm just camouflaging all the reality of myself in my self-righteousness. That is the reason why in sin transgression and iniquity, you know what he says? Self-righteousness is iniquity for the religious people. For the Hindu and for the Muslim and all for these people. Your self-righteousness is your biggest stumbling block of iniquity. It's your biggest stumbling block of iniquity. And you do not see yourself as the way God, God sees you. That is what it says, no? What does, what does the Lord require of you, O man? He says. To do what? To do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. You know what the word to do justice means? The word comes from the word mishpat. Mishpat or shafat. Shafat means to judge. The guy who continuously judges himself. And because he judges himself, what does he want? Mercy. (laughs) Therefore he loves mercy. And if you want to obtain your mercy, what should you do? Walk humbly before your God. That is what he tells Micah. What did the Lord require of you? He required sacrifice. 
Should I give them my firstborn son as a sacrifice? No. It requires one thing. To judge yourself. The moment you start judging yourself. You know what you will ask for? Lord, I need mercy. Lord, I need mercy. I need mercy. You will quit looking at the moat in somebody else's eye and you will realize the plank in your eye is so huge. And you will be preoccupied not with others, but yourself first. <sighs> Shafat. To do justice, to love mercy. It's like to love mercy. To love mercy. It is just not be merciful, but to love mercy. And to walk humbly before the God. So, you have to realize that you're what? Wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and finally, naked. Emperor has no clothes. In other words, in my sight, I may be having a covering. But in your sight, naked. You see me the way I am. That's exactly what doctors do, no? You cover yourselves with your with your bandage and your clothes and everything. And the doctor says, strip. No, 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 no. I want to hold on to my dignity. What do you want? Healing or dignity? Oh, Elisha will come and will put a magic wand and without me opening my uh, opening myself and exposing my leprosy, I will be healed. Nobody should know that I am leprous. Or they should know that I am leprous, but that I, they should not know that I am leprous from head to toe. But only those people who have recognized by the fact that they are leprous from head to toe, God proclaims that you are what? Clean. Hence you are what? Unclean. Three eighteen revelation. I counsel you. I like that. I counsel. Who gives counsel? Your defense attorney. Who's your defense attorney? Jesus. Buy from me gold <laughs> refined in the fire. That you may be rich. You know why? Because for your sake I've made myself poor. So that you can be made rich. Get yourself white garments. Be clothed in my righteousness. I became naked for you. On the cross. I didn't even have a loincloth. When I was hanging on the cross. I exposed my nakedness. In spite of the fact that I was the holiest. And never sinned. I did not have sin in me. I became sin for you. He became sin. For us, we have no idea what that means. We have no idea what that means. Read Psalm 22. Strong wind bulls of Bashan have surrounded me. Dogs have encompassed me. What did the son of man had to go through to take the sin of the world onto, onto himself? What kind of sin? Every vilest sin that you can imagine. For the vilest offender... Who truly believes that moment from Jesus that you could become the, clothes, the righteousness of God in him. 
buy from me gold that you may be made rich white garments that you may be clothed and the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and then what anoint your eyes with eyesalf that you may see amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved her you know you know people have actually changed that sound to uh, save a sinner like me they don't want to say the word wretched anymore only paul has said it by the way my dear brothers and sisters only paul in the entire new testament has said it that means that guy has really realized the power of the gospel wretched So what happens? Jonah chapter 3 verse 5 and 6. 5, yeah. So the people of the Nineveh believed God. Proclaimed a fast. What is proclaiming a fast? They humbled themselves and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least. Everybody, irrespective of their social status or lack thereof. From the prince to the wildest sinner. Everybody. Three nine Romans and nineteen and twenty. Three nine and nineteen and twenty. What then? Are we better than they? No, 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 no. Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that all are under sin. And 1920? Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may be made guilty before God. Therefore, by the leads of the law, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in the sight, for by the law is the knowledge of Sin. Everybody. Everybody from the least to the greatest has emptied himself. Then what happens? Let's read from 3, 7 to 9. I love the way that the whole story ends. Okay, Put it in KJV. Okay? And he caused it to be proclaimed. Oh my God. What is going on here? Alright. The effect of the pest control. That's the reason why it's called a pest. No? (laughs) And he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles saying, let neither man nor beast, herd or flock taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water. Unbelievable, no? Even the animals went on a fast. I mean, that's interesting. In the history of mankind, I don't think something like this happened. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn every from his, from everyone from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent? You see that 
they still did not trust in their own works they still abandoned themselves to the mercy of god just because you turned you think god is obligated he has mercy upon whom he has mercy but we should be a people who love mercy and turn from the fierce anger that we perish not and you know what it says and god saw there works what is that works baba the work of repentance the one work of humbling ourselves the one work of willingness to lose our face the one work not to hold on to our reputation the one work not to hold on to our crown not to hold on to our throne but emptying our throne and saying lord i have met the ultimate authority i don't rule but you rule and god saw those works god saw their works and turned from their evil way and god repented of their evil and he said that he would not do and he uh, and he said that he would do unto them and he did it not that he said that he would do unto them and he did it not boy the power of what of the proclaimed word has got this power to stay the hand of the wrath of god if you repent the power of the proclaimed word so this morning what are you holding on to are you holding on to your reputation and your throne are we holding on are we still trying to cover up instead of asking god to show us what we truly are and acknowledging before him and confessing our sin this morning let's go to god in humility and let's seek his face for he will abundantly pardon let us be willing to lose face let us be willing to empty the throne and give god the ultimate throne in our life and say lord you are my lord and you are my god amen let's pray father we just thank you father you are a good god mercy endures forever and this morning we just humble ourselves before you we ask you lord to wash us to cleanse us by the water of your word and grant us the gift of repentance we pray we thank you lord continue to work your word through in our lives and continue to wrought repentance we thank you we praise you for in jesus name we pray amen